police in the morning. Welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie chat. This week, we're here to talk about the genre of science fiction. What is it? How has it changed through the years? And what is it that makes a great and memorable work of science fiction? Joining us for this chat today is Gary Morgenstein. Gary is an experienced science fiction writer who used to work for the Sci-Fi Channel. Gary, welcome to our show. I'm delighted to be here. Nice to talk to both of you. Nice to talk to you, too. So, before we start this chat, would you mind telling us a little bit about your experience working with the Sci-Fi Channel? Sure. I was there for nearly eight years, and I was director of um, communications. I did publicity. And uh, the, the title of your show is interesting because one of the main things I did uh, was the B-movies, the sci-fi original movies back in the day, um, Mosquito Man, things like that, and, and certainly Sharknado. I was um, I handled publicity. I'm kind of like the mad uh, PR genius behind Sharknado, because when um, it first came on the air, no one had any expectations. People were kind of dubious. They weren't sure about the title. They were a little uneasy about um, a few weeks before Sharknado was due to air. Hosts of a tornado chasing show on Discovery were killed by tornado. People internally were worried, well, are you sure we should show the movie? And I said, well, wait a second. It's a movie about um, a tornado pulling down shops in Los Angeles. I don't think anyone's going to think we're being insensitive. And and we, and we got some good buzz about this, the movie going in. But then the night it aired, the, the internet, it blew up the internet, which is the most astonishing thing I've ever had in my career. It was it certainly television history. I, my phone was just about blowing with press requests. And I remember my favorite one was from Nightline. Now, there had just been um, a military coup in Egypt. And this Nightline producer calling to say they want to do something about Sharknado, and I argued with her. I said, wait, are you sure you really want to cover Sharknado instead of a military coup in Egypt? So it was kind of a crazy time for several years. That's awesome. So you're kind of like a hero of the B-movie world. Yes, absolutely. Well, I loved it. I lo- Even as a kid, I just loved B-movie. Because the thing about a movie, you have to as it is. It's not trying to have a talk. Doesn't have the money. It doesn't have resources, but it has a certain humor and calm, and maybe a little campiness. It's incredible career, and I think there's a sometimes people look down their nose at the B movie, and they take a little snobby um, attitude. Well, it's this, it's that, it's not up to this stuff. But you know what? At the end of the day, if it's entertaining, it's wonderful. It's what it's all about: is just making sure that you make something that's in your vision and make sure it's entertaining. And, and the beauty of science fiction uh, is like, it is such a broad genre. People think, I, you, sometimes you talk to people and say, well, do you like science fiction? And they say, no. And you say, why? Well, it's not alien. It's their own concept of science fiction. Star Trek, or Star Wars, or Mark. And they don't understand that it, it, it runs the gamut from, I mean, Twilight Zone is one of the great benchmarks about um, taking in all the more the wonderful broad of science fiction, going, you know, the novelist, Asimov, and um, uh, Robert Heinlein, the present day people, you know, Stevenson, and just, uh, Ray Bradbury in between. Just, it, it, it has so many elements of uh, the speculation, the, the wonder about the future, and will the future be different, and if so, how? Definitely. It's amazing how science fiction has really influenced uh, like culture in general. Like You see a lot of technology now that if you look 
not that long ago, it's like, hey, I remember that from Star Trek, like thinking how cool that would be. And now I've got a cell phone, which is kind of like their communicators, only um, a bit less uh, bulky and all that. Well, yes, and, and who doesn't wonder about the future? Even if you don't, I mean, if you have a family, uh, you know, young parents with a child, they're thinking about the future for the child. What kind of world that child will grow up in? People are always looking ahead and wondering how they can make the world better. And that's what science fiction does. It's not the way um, the, the science fiction writers perceive the world is very dystopian. And you say, well, it's going to be really grim. And whether we have a zombie apocalypse or World War Three or an alien invasion, uh, can you overcome it? Well, I think the human. I think the one about science fiction is that it is so plugged in, as you say, into our everyday world, and people just don't realize it when they get when they get you know iPad. Uh, they hook up things to the television. Uh, when they, you know, multitask as they do. Uh, uh, tech, uh, the technology, the, the medicine. Um, it's quite remarkable how science fiction and how um, science fiction dreamers have influenced our world. And also made heck of a good stories along the way. When I first started at, at Sci-Fi Channel, it was pretty much that was like the not the, I want to say the only place, but really the primary place on television for science fiction. You kind of owned it, and now you look around and it's just everyone. So so many outlets uh, are doing science fiction programs. I mean, who wouldn't want to imagine that there's intelligent life? I have. First of all, I don't understand how people won't accept that there is intelligent life elsewhere. Because all too often, I doubt whether there is much intelligent life on this planet. So we need to be a little safe. How is it possible that we're alone? When you think, okay, well, there were certain cosmic uh, random events that led to life coming on us. Well, I, I about that. Now, do you guys think, you guys believe in UFOs? Do you believe? that there have been ancient aliens visiting Earth thousands and thousands of years ago? I mean, what do you think about references to, cave, you know, the consistency of, for example, cave dwellers um, to many ancient people, very similar, depicting the same sort of astronaut spaceship that in those days. So how, that's more than coincidence. I mean, what do you think about that? It's definitely a topic I've, I've discussed with a lot of people, and I, I like thinking about the like the psychology of it and just the overall, like, is there a better plan for humanity that we don't know about because it was created by something much smarter than we are? I think there is a definite distinct possibility that there are intelligent beings from other places in the universe, um, whether it's a known place or unknown place, um, that have come, have visited, have influenced in one way or another whether it's architecturally with the the pyramids you know the aztec pyramids egyptian pyramids you know these these great achievements that have been made in history um could have been influenced by something else um there's also that theory of um oh why can't i think of what it's called but when um, a species has the same idea in different parts of the planet at the same time. It's like the big psychic web. Yeah, okay. Um, I can't remember the name of that theory. But things like that, like how how else could you explain, you know, things coming about around the same era around the world when travel around the world from us 
really wasn't established at that point. I definitely like 100% believe that there's intelligent life out there. I mean, it doesn't make sense for there not to be with how vast the universe is. Like, we're the only planet that developed intelligent life. Like, that's... The odds of that are, are much worse than um, than the than their idea of there not being, so... Well, then, okay, so then, if I don't know if you're religious, I'm not. No, um, not really. But, well, okay, but then the whole concept of God, you know, is that... That isn't necessarily mutually exclusive. Some people think it is, some people think it isn't. If it, it, is God created... If I created the universe, if you if you say, and I don't quite accept that origin, but people do, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, I'd like to leave a little wiggle room just in case I'm wrong. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm I'm at St. Peter's. I said, no, no, it's all right. I kind of I'm kind of bored into it a bit. Um, Scales wager. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to put a couple, you know, a couple bucks on eight red just to play it safe, okay? Um, but if you have the whole concept of God, then it it should be allowed that God could create numerous species. That goes in science fiction to um, one of the more recent Doctor Who episodes. Well, I, I say recent. It was like within 10 years. Uh, the Satan Pit. The concept mm-hmm. that there was this cosmic being that influenced the concept of the devil, of Satan, in all these different you know cultures, planets, races throughout the universe. That there is that possibility that you know something big and powerful is out there that did create or influence the creation of many things. Because where where do we get these notions? Were humans that creative? Or can humans be sporadically creative and come up with the pyramids and then be wallowing about in, you know, nothing else simply like that? Does that make sense? This is one a very interesting story from World War II where these um, American flyers uh, had to make a, a ditch landing on some small, um, uh, virtually uninhabited island in the, in, the, in the Pacific, in the South Pacific, and it was inhabited by um, these natives who had been cut off forever from the rest of the world. And they um, built um, monuments to the plains and thought they were God. I try to imagine different things in my writing. Um, a couple of years ago, I wrote uh, a Broadway play called The Anthem, and it was um, inspired by Ayn Rand's novella, which is a very dystopian view of the future, uh, where um, there had been a, a, a dramatic disaster, really relatively um, vague about that, and um, individuality in, in the, the post society, uh, all individuality was um, outlawed. So I told this producer um, that, well, okay, can you adapt this? And I said, well, people are going to like want to kill themselves um, in the second row in five minutes into the play. You need to like lighten this up. So I turned it into a sci-fi story, which was a lot of fun in suggesting that you know the world had nearly come to an end because of global warming, ecological disaster. Um, and so you know that's one element. You know the thing about science fiction, you could have fun too. Definitely. I like how science fiction allows people to explore different theories and ideas that it's it's not like with um, fantasy where it's all magic and everything. This is things like, what if this is um, what if this is out there somewhere, or 
what if we can create this? What if in the real world or a version of the world that's like the real world, what if what if something like really exists and how would it exist? It's kind of like figuring out how things work rather as opposed to them just existing. Well, and that's the one of the big differences between science fiction and fantasy, whereas science fiction is of things to come. It is, you know, things that have not happened yet. Whereas fantasy is normally um, a parallel, like it's happening now or it, it could possibly happen or it happened in the past. But again, it's a much more magical, whereas science fiction tends to stay more towards um, a realistic, you know, possibly could happen to what we know and believe in as a society today or as that is being written. Because you, you look at works from the past that, you know, things have come true now. Does that mean it's not science fiction anymore because, you know, we have this technology? No, because when it was made, it was not true. It had not come to pass yet. And I think that's a real beauty in science fiction is a lot of times it is something attainable with time. Yes, and I, I also like, I don't know how you feel about it, but I also like where the technology is not always front and center, where it's part of the social structure. Yeah. Where your eyes are not crossing. That sometimes you'll have you read like hard science fiction novels or military science fiction novels, and you really, unless you've worked aboard a you know an aircraft carrier, <laughs> you really might have not have the slightest idea what they're talking about. I think that that goes back to the fundamental role of all stories: is that if you're going to create a world, you can, have, you can identify with. And then you also, what's interesting is that you have to make sure all the rules apply. If you're going to create a world, I worked in the now it's the first of a trilogy, and it's, it's, set in, it's set in just on the eve of the 22nd um, United States World War III, Islam. And so I created a world, and I find that sometimes to follow the rules of my own world, I have to have things in there that I might not agree with. Uh, which sounds kind of weird, because I'm the writer, and I would say, you know, do that. I think the beauty of being a novelist is no one tells you what to do. Best thing, but but if you create, and that's you have to be very consistent in science fiction. It's very exacting. The fans are very demanding. Um, you, you can't say, well, this this because people say that doesn't make sense with what you've just. Yeah, to be consistent with the world and the rules yeah, the of the world that you built, and it's fun building worlds. All writers have this wonderful sense of um, massive ego. It's a, writers are like very schizo. Because on the one hand, you think, oh, geez, I'm like God. Everyone wants to read what I write because I'm so wonderful and brilliant. And the other hand, the flip side is that you think it's tough. Until someone, you know, oh, yeah, it's good. That's why I like my erotic and sometimes too much bourbon. Uh, that's you know, what you have to get to as a writer. It's very demanding. And then, then you know, there's all the different mediums of writing. My Mad Bell and Meridians, my, my um, radio series, began as a, as a stage play about five years ago at the um, Midtown International Theater Festival. And, um, and then fast forward five years later, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, Mike Sargent, 
uh, who's really well known, um, producer director um, in audio dramas and radio dramas. He has a show on WBAI radio. And we thought, well, it would be fun to do Mel as a radio series. Well, it's a different medium, theater to radio or anything, novels to play demands different things. It is in some ways, in our, in our vast digital era, where everything is CGI and you don't know really anymore what's real. Radio really relies, in a way, just like a novel. It's all up to you. Yeah. You're sitting there and you're listening. And it's, it's like the really fun, um, kind of a little cheesy sound effect that people expect. But you really have to be very um, reliant and trust the listener that they're going to get what you're saying. The movie Haunted Honeymoon with oh, yeah. Gene Wonderful. Wilder, yes, with Gene. Dom DeLuise, and how at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, you see that the whole movie was actually an audio play, and it shows these characters you know, running around the, the studio, making the sound effects, and doing everything that you know has occurred throughout the movie. And it really makes you go back and sing and think. At least it made me do that. You know, what were these characters doing in this studio throughout the movie to make this sound effect? To make you, you know, think this way. To give you this kind of impression. Like what they showed on the screen. How would they do that to make you feel that through the audio? Makes you think. When you're talking about B-movies, a lot of my favorite sci-fi stories are back from the Twilight Zone and um, shows like that. That even though from today's standards, they can look kind of hokey. The stories, like, stood out on their own, and you wouldn't want to see them um, with a lot better effects. You wouldn't... It would ruin a lot of the charm of it in the in the imagination, I feel, with how it was structured. And I feel like lots of times people, especially nowadays, science fiction, unfortunately, is a lot of special effects, and they think that can make up for the story. I remember um, one of my favorite writers is um, Harlan Ellison, and he was saying that when he was he was writing some, I, I don't remember if it was sci-fi or some other network, and they told him, well, the story doesn't have to make sense. It just has to entertain people. And he, like, got, well, like he always does, he got pissed at them and told them to go shove it yeah. because, um, yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, it's, it's it has to be a real story. You really have to tell, have to build your wor- worlds, and you have to, create something well that's that's an excellent point because all too often cgi is taking the place of storytelling and like james there. cameron's avatar <laughs> well yeah i mean at a certain you know you could you could look i love lord of the rings i'm a huge i'm a fanatic about it and you couldn't have made that movie without the cgi really yeah it it, it what it was but at the end of the day, it was the story. Yeah, some of the special effects and the CGI. Yeah, very cool. But really, it's it's you know Tolkien, and I think you're getting too increasingly self-reliant on CGI replacing characters. Having people who do this were trained on other people doing the same thing. So you're just repeating it over and over. And that's, that's dangerous. And you, know, you have the question, the whole thing about movies. Um, and, you know, have movies lost their place to television now? I mean, what do you guys think about science fiction um, movies compared to science fiction television? I mean, where do you think the best stories are being told? 
personally, my favorite sci-fi series of all time sci-fi was, series of all time. Yes. was Tremors, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, just, I, I love the Tremors movies, and I think it translated really well to TV. Yeah, I feel like with um, television, you can kind of tell a, um, a continuous story where there is like... I, I can't think of the last science fiction movie I watched where I actually went to theaters and said, wow, this is... Actually, no, I think the last one I saw that I really enjoyed was Interstellar. I thought that was very well done. I feel like when you watch a movie compared to television, it's kind of watching watching a short story unfold, whereas opposed to a book where there's like different chapters and everything, which would be like the episodes of a series. So I think that... I don't think one really outshines the other necessarily, but I think TV is kind of outshining it right now because they get to kind of do more of the world building, whereas the immediate, you have to wow everybody. And I kind of see that it going in that direction. Because with a movie, you have that confined story. Like, you just, you have these parameters, you have this time limit. Even for those that are, are going through, like, a, you know, multi-movie story arc, um, you see that with the the Divergent series. I know my wife read the books. She liked the books. She liked the movies. But you can see because they went out specifically and they were like, we're turning this into a movie series, the quality and the viewership just declines over the movies because you have to constantly keep up that same factor. And it's, you know, you need people to come to the theater to see it, to buy the DVD. Whereas... TV doesn't have to have that same impact in the same amount of time. And I think that's why, like you said, the, the TV sci-fi um, is starting to outshine, or at least I think it is starting to outshine um, the movies because it's, it's already there. You already have access to it. You know, with on-demand nowadays or the series is on Netflix and Amazon Prime and I don't know if Hulu has any sci-fi series but that instant access to it whenever you want it's something most people are already paying for so it's there for them whereas with the movies you have to specifically seek that out you have to go and you have to find it you have to go to the theater you have to make the time instead of you know you actually just saying oh hey i've got an extra couple minutes let me you know turn this on um and then i'll come back to it you know, when I get home later, or I'll finish it later, and that's another thing that's the advantage of TV nowadays with on-demand services and everything, is you can break that up into segments that fit your day, as opposed to you making a specific time to do that, which is a requirement for you know going to see things in a theater or renting a movie. It costs fifty bucks. I mean, at, at the minimum, sure about the tickets, the popcorn, soda. And just think about people who then have walking, babysitters. Oh, yeah. The expenses add up real fast. Did you know that movie theater popcorn is the most expensive food in the United States per by weight? Really? Yes. Hmm. Um, I, I, I forget exactly what it is, but I think uh, the average movie theater popcorn costs uh, $12,000 or $1,200 per pound if you would buy a whole pound of popped popcorn at a movie theater. Ah, I see how they do that. Did you, did you, did you like Arrival with Amy Adams? Because I thought that was a really good science fiction movie. Because that was really smart. 
I haven't seen that one yet. I, I I heard good things about it. I've been meaning to check that out, but I don't get into the A movie game very often. <laughs> yeah, we're. I think I, I've definitely watched more B movies than A movies in the last few years. And I've been I've been trying to ca- catch up on my uh, Netflix original series is, um, over this holiday and everything. Okay, so which B movies are your faves? Um, my my favorite uh, B movie is uh, definitely Herbert West, or well, the, the short stories Herbert West Reanimator, but the movie Reanimator, um, especially when coupled with Bride of Reanimator. After you've read the original story Herbert West Reanimator by H. P. Lovecraft, because first off, I, a lot of people always say you know the the writing. The, the the story the book is better than the movie i you know personally like i like the writing better but i still love the movie because there are elements in the movie that it, it brings out and shows and what's not captured from the writing in the first movie is actually done in the second movie and i really like that when when Brian Yunsna came back to direct the second movie that that those elements were brought in yeah, I'd say if, as far as B-movie sci-fi is actually my favorite, as in a Lovecraft-adapted uh, story, which was um, From Beyond. I thought that the way they used technology to kind of bring out things from basically other dimensions beyond our 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 sight and our senses, I, I thought it was absolutely incredible. How do you define a B-movie? There's, there's the traditional, you know, a, a B-movie was played after the starring movie at a movie theater so it was you know you went to see your a movie and the b movie was the cheaper shorter inferior so to speak movie but how how we define it is i can't remember exactly how we define it we define it in like our second um show yeah normally it's like something that's not like from a big budget company something that had a not a really large budget. I forget what the range was. Uh, basically, for the most part, a movie that's not owned by a big company, something that's made by a small independent um, production company or organization that kind of just used what they had and didn't have like excess amount of like money going toward toward building it. I mean, I I would I would personally say any movie that has terrible qualities about it that make it great or fun to watch. You know, because you can have a, a, a big budget, big company movie, and it just fail miserably, and attain a B movie status. I, I know I consider Halloween three season of the witch a B movie for that reason, that it's you know it does have some some campy qualities to it, but because it's not a Michael Myers movie, everybody always like degrades it and rants about how it's not a Halloween the series movie but it really is it's a it's a big budget movie it's it's good it's interesting but it's got some some cheesy effects um, and, and everything else and I you know I would say that's a B movie um, it's just got some terrible qualities about it whether that quality is it doesn't fit in with the rest of its series or it's Bad acting, cheesy special effects, uh, terrible writing that just brings out something special about the movie um, to make it entertaining. Because sometimes the writing in the B-movies are the worst part. 
Oh, definitely. You just say, like, how do you let that go? How do you let... Didn't anyone, like, read the script? Yeah, like, um... I see so... Like, we've watched so many terrible movies, and we just think, like, wow, how... How do people not look at this and be like, wow, what, what were you on drugs or something like that? Like, why would you think that this would work? It's it's always fun to, to see what you'll find. Like, And sometimes it's just, it's just the execution, whether it's it's the camera angles or the, the, the actors that you hired within your budget or you thought they would be great and they just turned out to be horrible. You know, I know we, we just recently watched Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. And one of the most infamous things about that movie is, you know, when Ricky says, Garbage Day! And really, if it wasn't for him saying that, I think the movie really would have been lost to obscurity. Um, ju- just like Troll 2, you know, the quote-unquote best-worst movie. There are so many lines that are delivered in such terrible ways that it just makes that movie special for that. You know, you've got, oh my god! Yeah. I mean, just look at Sharknado. I mean, like, I, the, my second, the, I like the second one a lot is because there was, there's a complete absence of trying to make anything make sense, and there's a sense of self-awareness of it. Like, the first one had it, too. All of them have had it, but I just thought, like, as, as the films kind of went on, there was just a sense of like, yeah, we know it's not, we know it's ridiculous, and I love when films can acknowledge that. Like, there's um, there's a sort of brilliance in that. I mean, what about the category of independent science fiction movies, uh, which are not B movies per se because they're really not bad, but they're not big budget either. Like, um, did you ever see Sam Rockwell in the movie Moon? I love Moon. It just it, it really does. You know, raise a, it's a very question-raising movie. Yes. So um, there is the quality, exactly, you put it perfectly, the question-raising movie of, of small science fiction movies which try to say something or ask something. And that's that's a debatable movie, too, on whether it's an A movie or a B movie because it was, it was released by Sony Pictures. I don't think I would consider Moon a, a B movie in the... Uh, in the normal standard, because it is very high quality, and it's very, you know, question-raising, and just everything about it, to me, is very authentic, Um, especially his reaction whenever he starts to figure out what's going on, and finds the the hidden parts of the base, and I just, uh, I don't know, I, I don't think I could loop that in with what is considered a B movie. I think it's a standout movie. And there are plenty of low-budget films that, that are standout movies. Um, I just can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, going back to the definition of like how we, we consider a B-movie, I don't think it has to be overall bad. Like I've seen, in fact, a lot of B-movies I've seen are way better than a lot of A-movies I've seen. I think there's like a low-budget kind of quality to it, but even that's kind of vague because as technology is advancing low-budget movies now are still much better quality than old movies from, um, like, 50 years ago or even less than that. So it's sort of, as time's going by, the idea of what is a B-movie is sort of becoming vague. But I think that there is still a quality of a story is being told not by a production company to entertain someone, but because it came from somebody's um, imagination and mind. And 
like I said, I think the I think it's sort of getting blurred of what is a B movie compared to an A movie, but I can't quite explain it. There is a quality of it that is there's a certain charm when you know that somebody was trying to tell their story rather than a story where a bunch of people were trying to like stick their finger in and say, you know, it has to be told this way, it has to be told that way. B movies certainly are more pronounced in the horror genre. Yeah, oh definitely. Would you say that? I, I think the majority of B movies have come from the uh, the horror genre. I just I think it's an easy easy way to get into the filmmaking. Um, and there's a lot of possibility and a lot of things you can do with a low budget when it comes to horror. Um, a lot of tricks you can do um, with your camera or with your writing, and even special effects wise, a lot of cheap ways you can get around doing things. I love horror movies, and I and I think the genre needs to begin affecting um, itself. Well, and I I think you have to really look at horror movies because there's there's a difference between what what I consider a horror movie and like there's a and like a slasher movie because a lot of movies that are considered horror movies today, let's face it, it's it's in the the words of um, Bill Heinzman, uh, blood, gore, ass, and tits. That's that's yep. all it is. They don't rely on horror. They rely on trying to shock sure. you, trying to throw things at you. Um, I know one of the movies I can think of in recent memory was The Green Inferno. What a god awful piece of shit that yep. was. Um, and like it got so much praise and everything else. And I watched it and I'm like, okay, there's a gore scene. Okay, they're eating. Oh, they they just ate that person. Like, there was no. There was no sus- substance to it. It was just how can we gross out the audience? What can we throw our budget into? Let's you know, let's let's gore them to death. No, no pun intended. Yeah, I mean, um, you can have a horror completely without gore, and it can still be re- scarier than like a slasher film. It's just how you portray it. Like Hitchcock was amazing with um, his writings and being scary because he understood basically that everybody can be broken if they're brought to a certain point or under certain conditions and I feel I, I agree with you when you say like there needs to be something more with uh, horror films it's it's more than just uh, than just gore and blood and like killing there's like to scare somebody there's so there's there's so many elements and it's such a diverse way of looking at it but it's hard it's as you say it's really really hard to scare someone um, Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween had virtually um, no bloodshed. You go back um, to Black Christmas, and there's so much build-up and so much suspense in the original one, and that's that's like Halloween. It, it did that same thing, you know, virtually no gore and almost no nudity, but yet it, it's terrifying when you think about it and look at it. Okay, but that's a, all right. That's you, you just hit an interesting phrase. It. it Built up, it, it took a t- time to build up. Our, 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 our modern audiences simply too impatient to wait. And we look at the world of you know, our social media world where everyone's tweeting constantly and texting. You know, having a lot of slashing, a lot of um, teenage girls in the shower. I, I think I can disprove that with just one TV series today, and that would be The Walking Dead. Because they managed to keep the audience there all season, every year for the the highest ratings for the past I don't even know how many years, 
but yet for three quarters to nine tenths of the season, nothing happens. Now, I, I fell out on Walking Dead after season five. It just, you know, was like they never left Georgia. Guys, you've been wandering around. You're like the Jews in the desert with, with Moses. You, you tell me you can't find your way to, like, even Virginia? I know they eventually made their way closer, but I found it a little boring, but I'm, I'm able to put up with stuff. I'm wondering in, when you talk about uh, horror movies, and the audiences, as people are always surprised, um, most horror um, film fans are women, young women, actually, because most of the, har- the heroines are, are women in the horror movies. Will they have the patience to wait for setups? I just wonder in contemporary um, entertainment if they will. Walking Dead obviously is a huge success, but is that does that prove it or is that you know the, the anomaly? I think it's a lot of it has to do with the film companies basically not really having a lot of faith in the audience and also just wanting to know because these a lot of these movies spend so much money on it they want to know there's going to be a return on their investment so they think that if we drag this out no one's people are people are going to walk out no one's going to want to watch it but so they're like oh wait, we have to do all this we have to throw things at there at them constantly but i remember i watched this film called the um the baba duke recently and oh, it, yeah it was an australian yeah. movie right yeah I, I liked it a lot and like there wasn't there really wasn't much blood at all in that. and It was a very slow build-up, and also it had a lot of subtlety to it, like her dealing with her son who had um, certain issues and things like that. I do think, and it did really well, so I think that, I think audiences kind of want that. I don't think a lot of them realize that's what they want a lot of times because they're like, oh, well, I like all the gore and everything like that. But I think when a lot of them are introduced to movies that have a slower build-up, they're like, okay, you know, I didn't. It's almost like they don't know it's there until they see it, kind of. But I, I do think that there is a desire for that. I think the problem is a lot of times in the writing for those movies or those shows that do have the really slow buildup, because they just they 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 patty cake around. They just they they throw fluff in there to give you time before something happens instead of making that time meaningful. And that's a really hard thing to do to make something meaningful without just having it be there for fluff. And a lot of writers don't know how to do that, so they'll just throw things in there being like, oh yeah, this is going to build up suspense because it's going to make you wait for something to happen. Well, that's not necessarily true. And I think that's where a lot of the issues come in with, you know, movies that take a while to get started. Did it take a while to get started because they're actually doing build-up? Or did they throw stuff in there just for time reasons. Which writers do you guys like? Like movie writers? Who, who I novelists? Um, my my favorite um, of of most you know stories has been H.P. Lovecraft, but I did have a writer that I I really enjoyed, and he passed away before finishing his third book in his series, um, and that was Z.A. Wrecked, who did the Thunder and Ashes zombie series. I'm pretty. I, I really like short stories. Um, I've got like tons and tons of short stories. Um, I think I mentioned Harlan Ellison's one of my favorite short story writers. Philip K. Dick's probably my favorite writer of all time. I'm a huge Isaac Asimov fan. Um, H.P. Lovecraft as well. Um, Michael Critchen's books were really good as well. There's so many others, but yeah, I guess like that kind of stuff where like they're 
telling a story and there's a lot under the surface. They're trying to get to you, like, like kind of figure out what makes you tick and everything, what's going to break you. It's like, um, like I said before about, um, about Alfred Hitchcock. I think he was the master of that, but just stories where they like, they're almost like talking to you through the story saying like, what if this were to happen and like pulling you in. Um, another uh, more modern writer that I like is uh, Joe McKinney. Actually, my, my favorite novel of all time was his um, Dead City, which takes place in, in Houston. And uh, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's the one I'm thinking of. And, so is he a fiction writer? Um, he's, he's a horror writer. Mm-hmm. And as far as um, science fiction, I'd have to say that um, Philip K. Dick, Isaac Asimov, and uh, Michael Critchens are my favorite. You guys like? Have you ever read um, uh, um William Gibson? Oh, Saga. was he um? Well, he didn't write Dune, did he? No, that's um. Uh, Frank Herbert. That was yeah. Um, I I have no. um I have a bunch no. of books like um, on um on my Kindle that I I still have to get to, but I I know his his books are on there. Um, what did he write again? Um. Oh, geez, I have to. Nancy was like maybe his most famous one. He's like you know very high tech. Okay. Like high tech. Definitely have to check some of those out. Um, yeah, and Neil Stevenson is really good. Yeah, but he writes novels like eight hundred pages. Something you really got to get into. Yeah, got to be. Do you read fantasy? You like fantasy um, stories, fantasy novels? Yeah, I'm a. I've read like almost everything by Tolkien, so um, yeah. Um, a few other fantasy series I've read. Um, I'm trying to think of other fantasy. I'm not. I like um, horror and sci-fi a lot more than fantasy. But like, if it's like a story I can really get into, like Lord of the Rings, I'll I'll be there for like a day just reading it. Fantasy seems very repetitive. Yeah. You were saying you know it's people, it's medieval, it's you know, magic, it's dragons. I, mean, I love, I love, love Game of Thrones TV series, and and I really like the first two novels, but the third one lost me. Yeah, fantasy seems like something that's really difficult to be unique with because it seems like there are certain staples you almost have to follow, and if you don't, then it suddenly loses its genre status and people won't want to won't want to um, get involved in it. I, I think one of the things that kind of ruined reading fantasies for me was um, the Harry Potter novel series um, because by the time I got a hundred pages into the fourth book I figured out that every book was exactly the same. You had the same progression of events, the same main events happening um, plot point wise that, that drove the story. And to me, it just kind of took a, took all the all the luster out of it. So I I don't read a lot of fantasy, and I think I attribute it to that. Does a writer have to surprise people? I don't think a writer has to necessarily surprise you. I think they have to um, they have to intrigue you. Yeah, I think they have to tell you a story that's really well done and well constructed and can really uh, keep you engaged like there's a series I was watching um recently with my wife about a bunch of ice skaters and it's about um a guy who he gets trained by his favorite his um idol ice skater to um basically become a champion 
And it's such a cliche story, but it's told so well through the characters and how they um, how they communicate like their feelings and emotions through ice skating. And I thought that it's it didn't have to be a unique story to be told well, and it was really well done despite that fact that it wasn't that surprising. It was just it was consistent and it was it was it was unique, and you could tell there was a lot of love put into it by the author. You guys write. Yeah, I write um I write a few short stories. Um I I'm so bad at editing them that I can't really do much with them, but I write, I like I try to write in a little bit in every um genre. Like um I recently wrote a short story um a short science fiction story that was kind of cool, but um yeah, it just they all need so much work that it's like I don't even know what to do with them. The only thing I get time to write is lesson plans. Oh, you are you teachers? Um, I, I teach preschool, so so mo- most of my reading happens to be things like Eric Carl and Dr. Seuss. So uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> that'll be you know yeah yeah that kind of crampier. Right, right, but even Dr. Seuss was wonderful, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. One of the best. I'm I'm still disappointed in myself that I I did not buy when I had the chance the Seven Lady Godivas, which is uh, one of Dr. Seuss's adult novels, which is about seven naked women. Oh, um, it's 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 very it's a very rare find, and at at the time I just didn't have the extra money, um, but it's just it's one of those interesting things. Um, I think his more famous adult novel is um, oh, oh, what's it? Called? I just bought it for my my brother for his birthday. Oh, I have to look this up. Is it a Dr. Seuss one or? Oh yeah, it's a Doctor Dr. Seuss book. Yeah. Um, oh, you're only old once—a book for obsolete children—and it's 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 just about getting old and going to the doctor and having the doctor prod you and poke you and do different procedures to you that you really don't want to have done. Yeah, going with the science fiction, I've heard people say that science fiction is basically commentary on society through futuristic uh, settings, and I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Do you think that uh, science fiction has to be kind of um, a commentary on society, or do you think that's just certain science fictions? Well, it doesn't all have to be, but the best are. Yeah. Because you're, you're saying, okay, this is what the world is going to look like, and because it's science fiction, you have a certain cover. You can don't have to be politically correct. You could be a little more outlandish, because you say, "Hey, it's the future. It's science fiction. It's speculative. Yeah. It's not as it's not like more reality rooted fiction, contemporary fiction. And you can hide under stuff, and you don't have to come out and quite believe. Yeah, people get your meaning." I feel like science fiction really lets you explore different philosophy through the use of futuristic settings and futuristic technology. Science fiction allows you to kind of explore um, philosophy and different mindsets and things like that. Because people will give you more latitude in science fiction. Yeah. They'll let you go a little further. I mean, some some great novels are written when people are... Um, a little sure. off. Like, I, I think everybody needs to be a little off in order to be a writer. Like, Absolutely. Oh, yeah, how can you... You have all these characters dancing around in your head. Yeah. You know, sometimes my wife will say, well, you look sad. I was like, no, I don't look sad. I'm just thinking about a, a scene. Yeah. And someone's sad in the scene, and, and that's me. They're all me. <laughs> so, it's so it's, you know, just 
letting down the veil and just thinking and being with them. But that's not, I mean, is that healthy? I don't know. In some ways, you might say it's more healthy than not doing it. It's um, kind of recognizing the different parts of you and not being in denial of the fact that I, I have these these thoughts, I have this mindset, like these ideas, and it's a healthy way of getting it out through writing and through um, things like that, where I feel like the people that go nuts are the people that don't do any of that. Well, that's a good point. You know, they say all writers are born the stock company, characters. It's a good way of looking at it. Yes, and you know, it's a question of how many stock companies you have and how well you, you are at running them in and out of wardrobe. <laughs> I like that. You know, well, it's been great talking to you guys. Yeah, definitely. It's um, been wonderful. Oh, before we go, um, I figure, would you like to um, just talk about your radio show that you mentioned a little bit? That way um, people could um, could listen to it. Where they could find you online. Yeah. Yes, it's um, it's called Mad Melt and the Meridians. It's a sci-fi um, audio drama, and it's at madmeltsavestheworld.com. And the first three episodes are up, and episode four will be coming out um, later this month. And it's about this writer, Mel Worthington, who has made a, a good living making up stories about ancient aliens, the Meridians, who he claims visited Earth thousands of years ago. However, they really are Meridians. And they are coming to Earth to invade. And they're led by the um, Imperial Chancellor, the evil Dono. So we have a little um, social commentary there. And um, he stand, a writer stands in the way of um, alien conquest, which is a very chilling thought. But my, my, the point is, we had a lot of fun. It's a, it's a comedy, and then at this point... Um, Books by my um, co-author Elil Arbel, who's a very noted um, extraterrestrial expert, and we've written our first volume, um, Ancient Aliens, Meridians, and Anunnaki. Because the Anunnaki um, are well-known. Um, if you Google the Anunnaki, there's like you go, whoa! There's a ton of stuff about the Anunnaki They're in the Bible, as in the film, and they're thought to be ancient aliens who came back and helped um, aliens with the breathing with aliens. And the Meridians um, were often thought of as the graves, you know, the uh, the USOs, the the under um, uh, sea objects, the underwater bases that you hear about aliens on Earth. Well, they were the Meridians. So we're launching a series of books. As I said, we have volume one out, and volumes two and three and on on uh, will be coming out soon. And we're even working on um, a musical, science fiction musical. Yeah, looking forward to it. We're going to check that out. So um, thank you for joining us. It's been um, it's been a lot of fun, and um, yeah, I feel like we could talk for hours just on science fiction. There's so much we I, we we barely even scratched the surface on a lot of this stuff. We'll do this again, definitely. Hey, we... <laughs>